Hello, and welcome again to a scary conservative historian podcast. No, it's not Halloween, so we're not having ghouls and ghosts and witches. No, instead, we are talking about the clown house. <laughs> the date, January 2023, and my name is Bell Avis. It is that in a democracy, the people meet and exercise the government in person. In a republic, they assemble and administer it by their representatives and agents. A democracy consequently must be confined to a small spot. On the other hand, a republic may be extended over a large region. James Madison in the Federalist Papers I weep for the liberty of my country when I see that this early day of its successful experiment, that corruption has been imputed to many members of the House of Representatives, and the rights of the people have been bartered for promises of office. Andrew Jackson on the Corrupt Bargain of 1824 I have accepted a seat in the House of Representatives, and thereby have consented to my own ruin, to your ruin, and to the ruin of our children. I will give you this warning that you may prepare your mind for your fate. A very scary quote from John Adams in a letter to his wife Abigail. Don't you love a farce? My fault I fear. I thought that you'd want what I want. Sorry, my dear. But where are the clowns? Send in the clowns. Don't bother. They're here. Stephen Sondheim from A Little Night Music. And here we have quotes from that truly scary 1989, I'm sure almost nominated Academy Award winning epic movie, Clown House. Trouble at the madhouse? Where the crazy people live? Why would any of them want to break out? Maybe to go to the circus. They really are out tonight. Who are the clowns? So, dear listener, if you are, I don't know, like me, find clowns a little off-putting, a little odd, even a little scary. Certainly Stephen King did in the movie It. In his case, the clown was actually an alien who... Well, I haven't actually read the full book or seen the movie, so I imagine they might eat the souls of small children. Who knows? Something like that. But if you are like me and find clowns, I don't know, maybe a little scary, do not listen any further because we are going to be talking about one of the scariest House of Clowns ever conceived, and that would be the United States House of Representatives. During the incomparable movie Lincoln, the titular character has a conversation with his Secretary of State and right-hand man, William Seward, who calls the House of Representatives a rat's nest filled with talentless hicks and hacks. Thank God that in 2023, we are doing so much better. Keep in mind that I am a firm believer in the comment that democracy is a terrible form of government, accepting for all the others. I am not keen to be ruled by somebody because they happen to be born to the right person. The thought that some general and his bloodthirsty troops have sway over me is not really palatable. And communism? Well, I like to live in a, you know, prosperous nation 
where I'm not, um, well, just one example, welded into my home because I caught a disease. And of course, I like being alive, a choice not open to the 40 million Chinese destroyed by Mao. So with that qualification, let's just say that the 1865 and 2023 versions of the House of Representatives were probably more in the realm of normalcy. A few podcasts ago, I compared Andrew Jackson and Donald Trump and described at the time, in 1824, when the House of Representatives chose the president. In Andrew Jackson's estimation, this was a corrupt bargain. And the corrupt aspect was the eventual winner of the presidency, John Quincy Adams, who then named Henry Clay of Kentucky to the coveted post of Secretary of State. Okay, Adams needs a Secretary of State, But it just so happened that Representative Clay was instrumental in getting Adams the votes needed to prevail in the House of Representatives, and then was appointed Secretary of State. But as was typical, Jackson got the last laugh, winning the presidency outright and putting the historical odium of one-timer on Adams. For those thinking the vitriol used in today's debates is outlandish, Well, that is a lack of historical knowledge or lack of the passions of the pre-bellum Congress. Here is this from the official archives of the House of Representatives. The most famous floor brawl in the history of the United States House of Representatives erupted as members debated the Kansas Territory's pro-slavery Lecompton Constitution late into the night of February 5th and 6th in 1856. Shortly before 2 a.m., Pennsylvania Republican Galusha Grow, I love that name, and South Carolina Democrat Lawrence Keat exchanged insults, then blows. In an instant, the House was in the greatest possible confusion, the Congressional Globe reported. More than 30 members joined the melee. Northern Republicans and Free Soilers joined ranks against Southern Democrats. Speaker James Orr, a South Carolina Democrat, gaveled furiously for order and then instructed Sergeant-at-Arms Adam J. Glosbrenner to arrest non-compliant members. Wading into the combatants, Glosbrenner held the House mace high to restore order. Wisconsin Republicans John Bowie Knife Potter and Cadwallador Washburn I'm glad that these are Wisconsinites on the Free Soiler side, ripped the hairpiece from the head of William Barksdale, a Democrat from Mississippi. The melee dissolved into a chorus of laughs and jeers, but the sectional nature of the fight powerfully symbolized the nation's divisions. When the House reconvened two days later, a coalition of Northern Republicans and Free Soilers narrowly blocked the referral of the Lecompton Constitution to the House Territories Committee, and therefore Kansas entered the Union in 1861 as a free state. None of the shenanigans from those past Congresses, or the one we're going to cover today, a 2023 version, well, none of that would have happened under Illinois Representative Joe, Uncle Joe Cannon. I like that name, aptly named Uncle Joe Cannon. Uncle Joe Cannon's career in Congress spanned almost five decades. During that time, Cannon served as chairman of three committees, expenditures in the post office department, rules and appropriations, 
and from the 58th Congress through the 61st Congress, that would be 1903 to 1911, he simultaneously chaired the Rules Committee and served as Speaker of the House. As chair of the Rules Committee, Cannon managed the floor schedule for legislation and, as Speaker, he controlled the debate on the floor. I love this guy. During Cannon's reign, he usurped power from the committee chairs and ruled the Congress with an iron fist, earning him the nickname Tsar Cannon. He once said, Sometimes in politics, one must duel with skunks, but no one should be fool enough to allow skunks to choose the weapons. I am not confident I would actually approve of Uncle Joe, as you'll see, his methods and his accumulation of power but he stands in just a teensy bit of contrast with today's GOP caucus in the House, as we shall see. But before we get to the Kevin McCarthy fiasco, one of the few people who's probably happy at this week's events in the GOP caucus was one George Santos, representative from the great state of New York. In a podcast completed last October, I highlighted gaslighting throughout history, I cited numerous lies from Joe Biden, including everything from his biography to the border is secure and inflation is coming down. None of this was true, of course, nor was his predecessors. If you like your doctor, you will keep your doctor. And I see the desire to point these lies as an excuse to ignore George Santos in a massive fit of whataboutism. In an article for Reason Magazine by Scott Shackford, the author states of Santos, Earlier this month, after investigating Santos's background, the New York Times reported that it could not verify much of the information he had told voters. Santos publicly admitted some of his lies in an interview over Christmas weekend with the New York Post. He has not worked for Goldman Sachs. He has not worked for Citigroup, as he had claimed. He was apparently working as a call center employee for Dish Network during that time. He also never graduated from Baroche College in New York City, as he had claimed. It's not clear at this point how much of Santos' background, well, is actually true. Is he even gay, as he claims? Well, he was once married to a woman, the Daily Beast reports, but divorced her in 2019, just before his first failed run for Congress in 2020. This, of course, doesn't mean he's not gay. He recently married his male partner, but it is a bit unusual. The misleading claims even turned comical when he admitted to the New York Post that he's Catholic and not Jewish, as he had claimed. Well, he said, I never claimed to be Jewish. I am Catholic. Because I learned my maternal father had a lot of Jewish background, I said I was Jew-ish. It sounds like something a character from Seinfeld or It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia might say when they're caught in a lie. And as I noted a few moments ago, perhaps the one person who is truly excited over the Kevin McCarthy GOP Freedom Caucus imbroglio is George Santos. Without that, without this vote for the speaker or multiple votes as we shall see, George Santos would have been the topic of conversation because he was supposed to be sworn in on Tuesday and I believe he was sworn in on Friday um, this week being uh, the first full week of January 2023. Maybe he was sworn in. It's just nobody's really talking about it. And frankly, if it was George Santos telling me he was sworn in, I probably wouldn't believe it. And of course, there is that magical vote for Kevin McCarthy. 
Though it only took a week, and it represented the first time in a hundred years that a speaker's election took this long, McCarthy won the election as House Speaker on the 15th, 15th, 15th ballot after days of grueling negotiations that forced leaders to make concessions to the party's far-right members up to the last moment of the very heated discussions on the House floor. In contrast, I don't think there was a single Congress that Nancy Pelosi oversaw in which it ever got even close, even remotely, to a second ballot. And also keep in mind that she only had that seven-vote majority in the previous Congress. Now, the victory did mark sort of a personal achievement for McCarthy, who had yet to secure the speakership more than seven years ago. I don't know if you remember that time, dear listener, John Boehner essentially was being forced out. He was seen as a relic of the old party, and McCarthy was his lieutenant. So, of course, it would go to him, only it didn't. And after a lot of backrooming, smoke-filled rooms and negotiations, it actually went to House Ways and Means Committee Chair Paul Ryan of the great state of Wisconsin. Remember, McCarthy was up for this already and did not get the gavel back then. Nevertheless, He clawed his way to a win early Saturday morning after four days of repeated rejections. Well, there's only 14 rejections. McCarthy got 260 votes to 212 for Democrat Hakeem Jeffries from New York. I find it interesting that lately California and New York account for congressional leadership, but that's a podcast for another time. Six Republicans voted present, changing the dynamics for Mr. McCarthy to win the vote. As a result, the new speaker will control the GOP's only power center in a divided capital. He agreed to several demands, including bring on board his opponents. Some of those include power to shape spending bills and roles on committees. During this process, I love this quote from McCarthy stalwart Tom Cole of Oklahoma. I don't know how many times you have to tell people we're not moving. This is the guy that got us here. And we don't intend to leave Moses on the other side of the river. He's coming with us. The analogy works really well. Well, except for that Moses did not have a backbone of jelly and did not appease Jewish leaders who incited riots. If McCarthy had been the leader of the Jews around, oh, I don't know, 1300 BCE during the reign of Ramses II, he would have probably tried to cut a deal with Pharaoh as long as the Egyptian king kept him in his position. God and magic staffs be damned. But for all the smiles on McCarthy's face after finally winning, This might prove a Pyrrhic victory. Hanging in the balance is the ability of the U.S. government to stay open and pay its debts. Many of Mr. Carthy's initial foes are adamantly opposed to raising the debt ceiling or cutting spending deals with Democrats and could move to oust him from his job if he tries to do so. Also at risk are other high-profile measures that would require agreement between House Republicans and the Democrats, who... I know, shockingly, folks, they control the Senate and the White House. Funding the Pentagon and other agencies. Other things include sending aid to Ukraine as it battles an invasion, something that the mega Republicans are not really thrilled with, and approving food stamps for low-income people as part of the Farm Bill, which is typically reauthorized every five years. Of that last one, let me make a quick comment. These are red state folks. Part of the Farm Bill is in a lot of the agricultural department, which is dominated by the food 
providers within this nation, you will see that surprisingly, the Democrats and the Republicans, especially those from rural states, are in lockstep on the food stamps for low-income people. But I digress. Now, I am a minority who does not mind the debt battles, and I despise the shutting down the government trope. Oh no, we cannot go to Utah's Zion National Park. What never shuts down in these so-called governmental shutdowns? Social Security and Medicare, the two most significant deficit and debt drivers, still pay the bills. They still send out the checks. So does the military. That keeps going. That is always funded. After that, I'm frankly a little hard-pressed for some of these necessities of the government shutdowns. The government shutdown is is always one of those optical things in which the Democrats always seem to win that debate because people do not understand what that term actually means. Now, is McCarthy my first choice? Well, probably not. But over 216 GOP representatives think he is the guy, though some voted president. It still worked. And yet, the contortionist McCarthy, nor the memory-challenged Mr. Santos, assuming that is his real name, are not even the most odious of the Republican Party in the House. Nope, that title goes to Matt Getz, Lauren Boebert, and the rest of the Never Kevin branch. I told you that this was going to be scary. So, if given my choice of being a room alone with a group of zombies or alone with Matt Getz and Lauren Bobart, I'm not certain which one I would choose. I mean, on the one hand, you have flesh-eating, brain-consuming people, and on the other, you have the zombies. I know, I know, that was, that was, uh, I, I, it was kind of funny. Now, there are actually two factions who initially opposed McCarthy. The first, led by Chip Roy of Texas, had legitimate demands. In light of the $1.7 trillion, God, I can't stand that, trillion dollar pork fest omnibus package, more on that later, these representatives wanted to stop the terrible practice of leadership, crafting a massive bill, and then shoving it down the representatives' throats with only hours to yay or nay it. And of course, they most of them would yay it. But that was just part of the Never Kevins. The other part, the getz Bobert segment seemed to have precisely zero agenda. Well, aside from getting on TV or getting more social media clicks. And in this, mission accomplished. During the week, we were treated to Bobert on Sean Hannity's show, followed by Getz on Laura Ingram's. Because Foxes is the 800-pound gorilla of conservative media, these GOP darlings must have been over the moon. After McCarthy's win, they are undoubtedly crafting additional things to be opposed to without offering concrete or legitimate alternatives. The opposition is the thing. In the musical Hamilton, the king, George III, has three songs in which he essentially, and in the vein of dark comedy, talks of the American colonies the way an abuser talks of his victim. But though the King's song is meant to be comic relief from the main story, it actually has several pieces of incisiveness. Here's from the second of those songs. After Britain formally gives up the American colony, the King intones, What comes next? You've been freed. Do you know how hard it is to lead? You're on your own. Awesome. Wow. Do you have a clue what happens now? Oceans rise, 
empires fall, it's much harder when it's all your call. Well, not all your call, of course. Given Trumpist interventions that cost the GOP the Senate, and there's always Biden, but it is one thing to be in opposition, free to critique everything those in power do, and to hold the reins yourself. After all, leading, writing, legislating, working on committees, and crafting bills, that is all work. It is also a short job description of a member of the House of Representatives. Know what is not or should never be in that description? Must have been on Fox primetime shows at least 60,000 times. I am not the only one who's just a tad, um, well, frustrated with Getz and Boebert using one of our key governmental bodies for their performance art. We had this nugget with a vague resemblance to the brawl of 1858. There was a tense moment on the House of Representatives floor that resulted in a Republican member physically lunging at another, who then had to be restrained from further escalation by Representative Richard Hudson. The scuffle happened between Representative-elect Mike Rogers from Alabama and Getz. After the 14th House Speaker vote failed, Getz was discussing with Kevin McCarthy the possibility of backing him in the next vote and appeared to mouth the word committee. The rational core historian part of me abhors Rogers' behavior. The best approach to Getz would be to find a popular Floridian conservative like a state senator from the panhandle and in 2024 run them against Getz. The other thing is to not give in to the hostage-taking-like demand. No committees for this guy. But my instincts tell me that, I don't know, a punch in the mouth might be the type of medicine that Getz needs, because clearly someone failed to teach him morals, loyalty, or anything resembling an effective member of Congress. And this raises the question about what does Getz, or even Bobert, really want to do? Do they really want to be members of the House of Representatives? Or is this a platform for other things? Spout invective on talk radio or get a gig on Newsmax and run a blog podcast where he says mean things about people, mainly against those not in a position to fight back. Maybe the real bad guy here was Hudson for preventing Rogers from providing a valuable service to the Republic. Now, What is going on in the Republican caucus is something I would typically term a clown house. But that would be an insult to the $200,000 budgeted movie of that name and seeing the trailer of this saga of killer clowns. As I noted, the movie is sort of like a poor man's it. I struggle to see where the $200,000 actually went. Those proto-Kickstarter investors should demand their money back. I mean, it is really, really bad. And please check out the trailer in a link I've conveniently put in the transcript here. But in case you are searching savvy, just put Clown House into a YouTube search. Look for the Clown House trailer and enjoy. Whatever you do, do not actually try to obtain the full movie. I think it would be two hours of your life that you will never, ever, ever get back. It might not even be two hours. Again, $200,000, the thing probably barely clocks in over at 70 minutes. And as an aside, please look for that trailer on YouTube. Do not look for it on TikTok. Too long. And frankly, why should you tell the Chinese Communist Party that Clown House is trending? Now, will the movie Clown House be confused with Gone with the Wind, Godfather, or Citizen Kane? Probably not. With a tagline such as, 
The nightmare is over, but the fun has just begun. Which for a horror movie doesn't not, well, it doesn't really even make sense. But frankly, it feels comparable to the clown house currently being run in Washington. As bad as the movie is, I think the real one in Washington is worse. Now, I want, I would put a minor language shift. I wouldn't use their tagline. I would use this one. The GOP clown house. The fun is over. And the nightmare has just begun. <laughs> Remember how I said that this podcast was going to be a little scary? Well, part of this scary spectacle featured Marjorie Taylor Greene looking better and more statesmanlike than Lauren Boebert and Matt Getz. All along, I thought that Getz and Boebert were, well, performative jackasses, but making Taylor Greene even smidgingly reputable is an accomplishment all in itself. But of course, the level of the bar for that would be too daunting for all but the most intrepid limbo contestants. However, MacArthur teaming up with Taylor Greene is probably akin more to the Predator versus Aliens movie, where the humans have to team up with the Predator, noting that the Predator will turn on you at some point. Of the Bobart-Taylor Greene kerfuffle, Jay Nordlinger wrote, Part of the Republican drama, or comedy, is a bitter rivalry between Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene and Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Both are queen bees of mega. I think of the old expression, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Who will be la passionaria of mega? I think we have dueling passionarias. But for all the comedy, there are tears, of course. As with many things, liberals and progressives will always have the advantage over true conservatives. It is a simple matter of one side saying, I'm going to give you something, and the other side our side, saying, that is a bad idea for these reasons. If you have to explain, you are losing as the saying goes. And it is the same with the principles of the Chip Roy faction of the House. This was the faction that actually wanted to strip down some of the power of the Speaker to get to a better level of fiscal sanity. In other words, it was actually a principled stance with a viable concept of what they wanted to accomplish. Now, the Democrats can easily unite because the only genuine debate in their caucus is how much of a sludge pile behemoth spending bill they can ram through. Even with a doddering president, a seven-vote majority in the House, and a single-vote majority in the Senate, they still manage to get an infrastructure bill with massive green pork they managed to get a $2.4 trillion build better boondoggle behemoth crap bill with more green pork and money for a larger IRS. And of that larger IRS, gee, I wonder, especially after Obama administration completely politicized the agency, who would they go after? Would they go after billionaire George Soros, who gives to leftist causes? Or will those brand spanking new tens of thousands of agents try to make life hell for Elon Musk and anybody else who gives to the Republicans? They got through a silicon chip subsidy bill. And just this last couple of months, from Pelosi, 
kind of a parting gift for the American people, a $1.7 trillion omnibus bill that ran to 2,700 pages long with over, oh, I can't even say this without acid in my stomach, 7,500 earmarks of pork. And in a horribly effective corruption of government, Pelosi gave the House precisely 12 hours to peruse this monster. I told you this was going to be scary. I, I warned you. I am a voracious reader, but I could not get through a 400-page eminently readable David McCullough history in 12 hours. In the omnibus was chock-a-block with technical and legislative jargon that even the most ardent lawyer might not love. 12 weeks would have made sense, not 12 hours. Simply, of course, it was not to be read just voted on, and all the Democrats did. They want the pork, and they got it in spades. The future of the American people be damned, of course. This is why Chip Roy was onto something. Too bad a principled representative is surrounded by the Clown Caucus. Boom! (laughs) Ha 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 ha! As always, thank you for listening to The Conservative Historian. Check out all of our podcasts. We have over 140 of them. We are on all the major directories.